This is episode number 83 of The Inspiring Talk with best-selling author Hector Garcia. Welcome guys to The Inspiring Talk. My name is Vijay Gautam. I'm host for this show. Each week I interview today's most successful and inspiring personalities to help you realize your inner potential. If you don't know this already there's an island in Japan called Okinawa where the number of people who live over 100 years is more than anywhere else in the world particularly a rural town on the island called Ogimi has people with highest life expectancy in the world in fact this village has earned the nickname the village of longevity On this episode I'm super pumped to have Hector Garcia. Hector is author of one of the most popular international bestsellers Ikigai The Japanese Secret to a Long and Happy Life. On this book Hector has distilled what he has learned by spending time with people of Ogimi. Hector was born in Spain and has lived in Japan for over a decade now. He is the creator of popular blog about Japan and its culture kiraiinet.com. Hector has authored 6 books including latest one Ichigo Ichii The Art of Making the Most of Every Moment The Japanese Way. I invited Hector on the show to talk about his life and journey. On this episode you will get to know the person behind the book that has inspired many people across the world. Let's jump straight in. All right guys, I have got Hector Garcia with me here today. Hector, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. It's an absolute honor in having you here. The honor is mine always. to have readers all around the world. Awesome, Hector. So I think the good place to start this conversation would be by talking about your background. So where do you come from and what's been your upbringing like? I am from originally from Spain. I was raised in a very countryside place. Not really countryside. It's like a little village next to the sea. So my first 18 years of life were very, I would say, very peaceful. Uh, my first time I lived in a big city was in Tokyo when I moved to Tokyo. So it was 18 years living in a little village where everyone knows everyone. Kids are all playing with each other. Um, families know each other next to the sea. Very peaceful. And then I left that life and now I've been in Tokyo for 15 years now. So that's, that's, that's a very like one minute to put my life. So what are the things that you enjoyed as a kid? Uh, I think I've been always one constant in my life. I don't know if it's it could be part of my ikigai is that I enjoy a lot learning about everything that comes to me and also creating. I I am not satisfied only with learning, but I like creating things. So sincerely I was I liked programming computers since I was like 9 years old. And that's one of the things I loved doing when I was a youngster, 
programming computers because it gave me, I enjoyed the feeling of being able to create almost anything with uh, my just typing in the computer. Uh, I also enjoyed a lot hanging around with nature, exploring trees and butterflies, playing outdoors. So it, it was a combination of being inside with my computer and being outside, going to the jump into the sea and see the fish swimming. So I liked exploring, I would say, and learning. I was always wondering about what I think as a kid, we are all trying to figure out what, what also as adults, as human beings, trying to figure out what is it all this about. And now that I'm 38, I, I still don't know <laughs> what is all this about. But yes, so far, those are the things that I enjoy the most. Interesting. So how you landed in Tokyo? So it was with, uh, I, I got an internship and I landed. It was, so it's going to be now, it was in August 2004. So it's going to be, in some days it's going to be 15 years. And it was a very hot day, very humid. I was not used to humid weather. In Spain, it's hot, but not humid. I guess that's also humid. Hot is in India you're used to, but I was not used to that. So I remember feeling very weird when arriving here. I was, I was in another planet or something like that. Like everything looks different. Weather is different. Everything smells like humid and different. I'm saying different many times, but really it felt like going to a different planet. And people speak like a language that I don't understand. So it was very exciting to land in, in Tokyo. Now you speak five languages. Yes, now it's five languages, which my, is very, yes. It's like, I don't know if I will learn any more languages in my life. I think my brain is already filled. Now I'm starting to forget Spanish words. So it's maybe too much. So how did that fascination of learning different languages came about? Was that because you needed to learn Japanese? Yes, that's a very good way to put it. It was a need. I really believe, well, you can learn languages with lots of effort and just for fun. But if you want to learn uh, that effort and just for fun, I guess you can learn the basics. You'll have an idea. But if you want to read a novel or have a conversation with, it's easy. So for example, in Japanese, in one year, I could have a conversation with one person and read some basic Japanese. But if I were to be with 10 people talking Japanese with them, like native, I would get lost. So to get to the level of being able to really be 100% confident in the language, you have to spend, it has to be a necessity to survive. And I think it takes like 10 years. It's more or less what it takes for a kid if you're born somewhere in India, you also have like 20 something languages, right? So yeah. if you're born in one region to learn your own language, language, it takes 10 years, more or less. I think that's also what takes, if I move now from Tokyo to somewhere where you, where you are, it would take me 10 years to be able to, or even more, maybe 15 or 20 to have dinner with 10 Indian people and understand everything. So yes, Japanese was, I'm still learning and it was of necessity. And then, and I think if languages are related, it's a kind of, it's, it's easier to learn. For example, in Europe, like some languages are related, so it's not as difficult as 
Yeah, for me it was very, very difficult. Maybe next I will choose a, an easier language. You call yourself a cultural broker based in Tokyo. What does that mean? I like exploring. I like, it fascinates me. The diff, like cultures fascinate me and the difference between cultures and how we fool ourselves thinking that we know about our own culture, but we really don't know because it is very difficult to abstract yourself and see your own culture. I'm starting to understand Spanish culture now after being outside of Spain 15 years because now we can have perspective. It's like if you are inside the forest, you don't see the forest from outside. Now, when I go to Spain, I notice things that I never noticed before because I was one of them. Now I go back and I see, oh, that's how Spanish people are. I notice how, like, from a different perspective. So I like seeing those things and trying to, sometimes we, I try, like at the beginning, I put like, we put whole cultures in a box, but then I love exploring. I really believe each, each human being is, is unique. And then if you go up in different levels, you can go, there is even cult, a, a culture at the family level. All families, we are different. And there is kind of like something interesting about each family. And then you can go at a village level or community level. And each community has a, its own culture, different rules, ideas, and level of trust. And there are better communities and worse communities, but we can all learn from each other. And then you can go to city level and state level or region, even if you don't care about politics. And then you can go to country level and even a continent has a culture a feeling. Asia is all very different from, from the rest. So it fascinates me how humans, humans, we, we collaborate and we help each other. And these things that we call cultures emerge from it's kind of a bottom up way of things happening and how cultures help to bring human thoughts and history forward, which I think is the ultimate purpose of cultures, to, to bring humanity to higher levels of understanding. What are some of the interesting things that you have noticed about the Japanese culture? Japanese culture, that's, I've, I have written now, not only Ikigai, but I have written near seven books about Japanese culture. So I could be hours talking, but there are many things which one of the main things that is different from, in fact, I have to learn more about Indian culture so I can, I can compare with Indian culture, but I'm going to compare with American culture with, uh, I don't know if you know about, about American culture are very, it's very individualistic. Like you try to be the best and you try to be the others and you become number one. If you're in a company, you work and you, your early credit goes to you. It's my, it's me who achieved these goals. What happens with this American culture is that you have to achieve, achieve, achieve more. And there is a never ending scale of achieve, achieving. And you have to bring down, you have to let down some other people in that path to, to fall to like that, what in the US calls success. And Japanese people are very much more collectivist, which is all about thinking about the group. So you try not to give you credit to the individual, but you always work as collective, everyone together. And this has good things and also bad things. It's very good to keep peaceful environments, for example, in companies or teams. But 
when you want to go forward very fast is slower because you need agreement of many people. And I have the feeling Indian people, Indian culture is a little bit collectivistic. Am I wrong or not? Individualistic, it's more of an individualistic. And uh, I don't think uh, the kind of, it's pretty much like Japan in terms of a collective thing. It's more of individualistic. So that's one of the main things about Japan. So Hector, in 2011, uh, you went to, you said that you leave the earthquake, tsunami and nuclear disaster. So could you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, so we had uh, 2011, one of the strongest earthquakes in Japanese, in Japan's history was recorded. And it was near Fukushima. It's a prefecture north of Tokyo. Fortunately, nobody in Tokyo was injured. So I was in Tokyo. But it was very scary. It was the most one. I was in a skyscraper. So it moved so much at some point, I thought that was, that was the end. But fortunately, it stopped in Tokyo. Unfortunately, more than 10,000 people died in Fukushima. I still have to reflect about the next week was very hard for everyone. I think everyone in Japan, it changed the perspective of everyone. Especially people, you know, everyone in Japan. And Tokyo felt a difference. All supplies in Tokyo in supermarkets disappeared. So you were wondering if this continues, we will not have food. And also we had the nuclear power explosions almost every day. So we didn't know if that was going to be worse or not. So it was a situation of fear, let's say. Unfortunately, it didn't go wrong in Tokyo. But this is also important for Japanese culture because there is always the danger that everything could be destroyed the next day. So it's a culture of like, you have to live the moment, which I think that's also, if you are from the place where like from Nepal, that's a cultural thing that Japan got from there, how to, how to live in the present, which is like Buddhism is one, one of the basics of Buddhism, applied Buddhism, I would say, like live in the present. Don't worry too much about the future. And for Japanese people is because there might not be future. So why worry? Which is a little bit negative, but it's it's true. And I think you have written an entire book on that, Ichigo Ichi. I guess. So that's my new... It's going to be in English in December. Oh, that's... There are many books about that, so I don't I don't know what how it will go, but I put my heart to write it. Ichigo Ichi is a Japanese word, or it's an expression, which means, for example, I'm talking with you now, and this is a unique moment with you. Because it will never happen again in the same format. If we talk again in the future, it will be our second time. So it will be second time is not the first time. Maybe we'll be more relaxed. Or I don't know, maybe you'll be in Tokyo. And <laughs> then it will be different. So we have to appreciate the uniqueness. It's like living in the moment by applied, but applying it to people. Because it's not, I think one of the things about there is meditation and all those things, but I think it's a little bit lonely. You meditate alone, you live in the moment alone. And Chico Ichie is about sharing the present with other people. That's the difference. Does it make sense? It's like being together with others and appreciating like unique moments with your friends, your family. Sometimes you are like, your mom is annoying or someone is annoying. You shouldn't be angry. It's, you should appreciate it. But is it easy to get distracted or maybe, you know, 
be either in our past or maybe think about your future. That maybe you have to teach me that. I don't know. We all get caught in the moment when something that I think no one, every human being, I think the key is, so that there is no, there's no human being who can be always in the present, maybe Buddha or something, or I believe that it's just getting, the main point is being aware of it. At the end of the day, have I been, or even yeah, like if you're getting yourself too stressed with something, like catch yourself. Oh, no, no, no. Stop. So that ability. And sometimes if you're very stressed, it's going to be like 15 days, you're very busy with the project or something. And after 15 days, you are like, wow, I was not in the present even one minute. It was caught up. People who are better at being in the present, you get caught up maybe one, two hours into something and to like something, something annoying, but then you go back to the present. So I think one of the keys is to catch yourself when you are going to the past or to the present and say, okay, come to the past or the present. That's okay. So awareness, I think, is the first step. And for that, there are many practices. I don't really care which one do you choose. I think each person has shown. You can write a diary. You can meditate. You can do whatever exercise you love. You can do a hobby that you love. There are many things that, and I think one of that's connected with Ikigai. If you're doing something that you really love, like totally love, then time will, like, present will only exist. And that's a state of, in Ikigai book, I call it flow. So that's, that's a state where you can be hours and, and you don't worry about future or past. You are just in a moment. Great. So Hector, how you, you know, what fascinated you into writing? Because on your bio, you say, I write every day and I'll not stop until the day I die. So. Yes. I think it's, yeah, as a kid, I lost creating and programming computers. And now the older I become, I love more writing. And I think, yes, I, I don't know why, but what I know is that I enjoy it. I need it for my, my soul to write. I think it's also important. It's becoming a mission for me because for some reason, it seems that what I write, people like it. I'm much better. Uh, at the beginning, I didn't believe that I was even, I, I believed, oh, I've been writing almost 15 years. At the beginning, I felt like an imposter. I didn't believe I was good at all writing. Now I believe I'm okay. And I think it's my mission. Well, at least there is many people who enjoy what I write. And I think I'm much better at writing than talking. Like doing podcasts is not my biggest skill. I am a slow thinker. So I like thinking a lot and then writing. And I put my whole heart and effort in every sentence and words. And I, I try to speak the truth at, at all time. So because I believe if, if you write bullshit, people will notice. So I write things that I really believe, not just write for writing. So it takes the time to write the books that I write. It's like it comes from, I, I write with, comes from my heart. So how did you dealt with the imposter syndrome, at least when you started out? Because there might be people out there who are listening and, uh, you know, thinking that they are not good enough looking at all these experts putting out the best of the work and, but they are just getting started. Imposter syndrome. That's a very good word. Everyone. So the first you should think, you should know is that even the best in the world have these thoughts. So you are not alone. That's the first thing you should think. Even the most, the best in the world, they will have self-doubts. So it's okay to have self-doubts. The key is that even if you have self-doubt, don't stop. That's the key. So I, I had self-doubt all the time and I still have it. But 
the keys just keep going, never stop. And start surrounded, surrounding yourself by people who are better than you. Now, that might be a little bit discouraging at the beginning because you feel like all oh, these people are better than me. But if you're trying to be the best, I don't know, in a certain sport, in a certain skill, you want to become a famous painter or like someone who paints, not famous, but someone who paints something and change people's emotions so much that you can change lives. I believe the power of art. Keep painting and then surround yourself with better painters than you. And then don't listen to people who try to discourage you and keep believing in you. And there is also a fine line between it's very difficult to know when to when to give up. I'm going to put my example, which is like as I said before, I was I started programming computers when when I was a kid, and I pursued my passion in programming computers. But at some point in early my early thirties, I realized that was there were much more people in the world who were better than me. I was better than average, but it was not something that I could be the best. That also depends if you want to be the best at something. Or I wouldn't say also the best, but be do something that you can, as I put in Ikigai, you can help the world as much as possible. And I realized that I could contribute more to the world with my writing than with programming computers. So I started focusing more I still love programming computers, but now it's not my number one ikigai. Now my number one ikigai is writing because so you have to recognize, but to recognize that you don't, there is a very fine line into giving up something too early because you didn't try enough and giving up at the right time or not giving up, but maybe shifting. I don't know. Maybe you're into, if you're into something and maybe you find something related and instead of being, I don't know, in sales in a company, you decide that you are better. You're not good enough at sales. There are many people who are better than you selling things. Uh, maybe you, but you find your power into marketing and analyzing, and then you become the best in marketing in a certain industry. So you have to find your superpower. And to find it is not easy. And that's, I think that's why life is fun because we, it's always refining what you are and always wondering. I also wonder if in 10 years it will be writing what I do. I think I wrote that I will write until die, so I will keep it. But maybe I find something else that it's, it becomes also my third passion or something. Yes, if you start doing these things, you can fight in imposter syndrome and start believing. And also be aware that there's no one else. After you are in your 30s, there is no one who is going to come and say, hey, you're good at this. It's very difficult. When you're a kid, you're used to, hey, you're very good at painting. <laughs> After you're in your 30s, life, yeah, I'm going to be, life is hard. Like, there's no one who is going to come. You're going to write, I don't know, <laughs> you can write a novel and maybe no one will read it. But, and it's very difficult to, to keep going when there is no encouragement when from the outside world. But you have to keep doing it. And at some point, there will be some reward. So I have books that I wrote, books that are finished, but are not published because no one wants to publish them. And that's very hard because I spent months and even years writing them, you know, sitting in a folder in my laptop. So, but I consider those not as failures, but as that was training, training for something else coming. So yes, that's imposter syndrome. Everyone, everyone has it. I read somewhere that even 
Neil Armstrong, the guy who went to, to the moon first, he was in his 60s, he was in a party and he said to someone that he said, oh, look at all these people, everything they have achieved. And the only thing I did was to get into state spaceship and go to the moon. Later, I did nothing. So he felt imposter syndrome, first person who went to the moon. So you are not alone. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, there are a lot of people, including Cyril Sandberg of Facebook, saying that she feels like uh, she's cheating the world and she's not, uh, you know, like feeling that she's good enough. So I think yeah, that's uh, everyone feels that way. Um, so earlier in this interview, uh, you mentioned about state of flow. So what is it and what does it feel like to be in the state of flow? So the state of flow is, you cannot explain it with words, but every, I'm sure you've experienced it and all the listeners have experienced it is when you are doing something and when you're not, you are so inside the task that you are doing that you do not, you forget about time passing. So you start doing some tasks and after three hours, you notice that you didn't go to the toilet and you don't have food. You forget about time passing. And those are moments the most beautiful in life. So those moments can be having fun with friends or having fun reading a novel or a book that you love or listening to music or being in a concert or working on a project that you are on, working with other people. You can enter these states in many ways, but the best rule to enter in this state is that you have to be doing something that is not very difficult and not very easy for you. If something is too easy, you get bored. If something is too difficult, you give up. So you have to find things which are more or less in the middle ground. When you find that, then that's, those are good. So if you find that you're doing something and you get bored because it's too easy, that's not, that's not good for, for your flow. So you said like, don't push yourself a lot into anxiety. Like don't, just push yourself too hard that you feel. Yes. So that's also, I struggle with that one. Yes. So that, that's difficult because there's always a fine line. But if you find yourself that you, you don't enjoy something, you give up after 10, 20 minutes, maybe you should lower the level to something, an easier level, let's say. It's too difficult. So you can start breaking down into tasks and make it, make it more, you don't feel overwhelmed by something. So. You have written a book, Ikigai, and which is a fairly popular best-selling book. So you talk about the Japanese secret of longevity. So would you like to share some of the you know secrets that you have included in the book or maybe some others that you have identified uh, you know, after writing the book, The Secret for Longevity of Japanese? So one, one of the main secrets that I don't know if it's a secret, but it's a Japanese Japanese don't really, they don't really retire. That's something mysterious that they keep doing things. They find a second job that is only 20 hours per week, or they have their own business, or they keep doing, like almost working on their hobby. So the first secret is never retire and keep doing things, which uh, research supports this. Research says that people who stop working in their 60s, the probability of you dying from some big, big illness goes high very, very fast. And then if you make it after your 60s, then you live a long life. So, and why, why is that? It's like, 
my belief is that if you stop doing what you love, your body and your mind, your biology notices it. And when your body, your mind and your soul notice that you're not doing what you love anymore, your system says, why live anymore? So you die. That's my, this is not proven, but this is like, that's kind of the message of my book. Keep doing things. So to keep doing things is better to prepare before your mission until you are 60 is to find things that you love so much that when you quit your job or if you quit before when you're in your 50s and you dedicate your time to your passion or to your ikigai or to your hobbies or whatever you want to call them, you love it so much that your body, your soul and your mind will say, I cannot die and you keep living until your 90s or 100s. And that's what that's Japanese people's main superpower, I think, which is shared between among all Japanese, I think. So what are a few other things that you have uh, you know, found pretty fascinating about Japanese people? Japanese people, yeah, this, this is one. I never retire. Another one is the one I told before, collectivism. And another one is their perseverance. And, uh, in Japanese, there is this word called gambaru, which means to put effort into something. I don't know how, how you say in Indian, but in Spain, we have this expression when to compare cultures in Spain. If you are having a test in school or college or university and you're, for example, you come to me or I go to you and say, BJ, hey, tomorrow you are having mathematics exam at university. I say to you, good luck in the exam. And I say, bye-bye. Good luck. That's Spanish style. So when you say good luck, good luck is like, it has an implicit meaning that it doesn't matter if you study a lot or not. Spanish culture is about your yeah, good luck will come from, from God or from somewhere. And if you have good luck, you will pass the exam. If not, you will fail. It's not about your effort. So Japanese culture is very dif- different. You don't say good luck when you're going to an exam. I say bijai and gambatte kudasai. So this gambatte kudasai, it means tomorrow when when you go to the mathematics exam, please do the maximum effort as you can to pass the exam. And then if I say this to you and 10 people say this to you over two, three weeks, then it gets into your mind and then you make an effort to study and to go to the exam and do your best. So that's and this Kambaru thing, it goes all Japanese culture everywhere. Even to say to soccer teams, like people are screaming in soccer fields and basketball and baseball is Kambate Kudasai, Kambate Kudasai is always do your best, do your best, do your best. Everyone is telling everyone to do their best. And people put effort and do better and better. And they fail, of course. But it's not about luck, it's about effort. And that's another thing that's I learned from Japanese people to be always trying to do my best, but also to have it in a, if I fail, I don't take it too seriously. Because then that's something Japanese don't do that well. They are sometimes too harsh on themselves when they fail. So I copied something from the Japanese, but all the things I don't copy. I copy the Gambate Kudasai. So well, what do you say in India when someone is going to an exam? Ah, you do, you're, then you're similar to Japanese. No, we say all the best. I mean, ah, all the best. this is pretty okay. much like saying, yeah, uh, yeah that's good luck. Okay. Well, so if you say all the best and then it's about luck, it's not yeah. about please do your maximum efforts. Like it's in Japanese. Yeah, it's about luck. 
Yeah, it's a little bit like Spain, England. So, Hector, you have written six books dealing with that imposter syndrome to writing six books and selling over two million uh, books. So do you still feel a little insecure about yourself or maybe, you know, imposter syndrome now or you have gotten over that? All the time. Even more now because, as you said, now I feel the pressure. It's like having a mountain behind me. So now it's imposter syndrome combined with some kind of weird pressure that I might not be able to surpass what I have already achieved. Does it make sense? It's very difficult to explain this. I think people who have succeeded in something know how this feels. And people who are still like, they will think that maybe that I'm being a little bit arrogant, but it's a true feeling. All human beings, we go through this. You now you're looking always for next, 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 and you think that they become successful, you'll be happy forever. That's not true. Happiness is another mysterious thing that's very difficult to achieve. You, you achieve it between phases so yes i'm happy sometimes i'm a little bit unhappy sometimes i'm about writing yes i feel imposter syndrome and i feel pressure because now the reality is that today i was writing a computer my screen my fingers my brain and that's it i have to type there is no one there to help me i have to type and i don't know if those words will be published i don't know if they will be read by many people or not i don't know there is no guarantee at all for anyone, not for me and for any other people. What I know is that I'm putting my heart into it and I'm trying to all the time do my best, like Japanese say. What happens later, I have no control, so I'd rather just fight. Thank you so much for being so open and honest. So now it's time for the enlightening round. Are you ready? Yes. I don't know how enlightened I am, but... Yes, enlighten me, please. So Hector, what inspires you to do everything that you do? The mystery of human life and the universe. That's my inspiration. So which one daily habit do you believe has been a game changer for you in your success journey? Daily habit for me is like right when I wake up before doing anything else. And then after one hour of writing, I, I do... Anything. The rest of the day is like, whatever, many things happen. But first hour of the morning is writing. And that's not much writing, but if you do it every day, after six months, one year, it's one book, two books, three books. Could you share a book or two that has influenced you personally in the recent past? In the recent past? I've been reading, I've been reading a Japanese novelist called Yukio Mishima, and I read three or four of his novels 10 years ago and I love his novels and now I'm reading again one of his novels that I read 10 years ago and I'm loving it 10 times more I don't know why it's a different phase in my life might be that and I'm also learning a lot of how he writes he's considered one of the greatest Japanese writers ever Yukio Mishima and he has some very powerful He's powerful at the sentence level and words. You're reading and you can, you don't feel like reading fast. You feel like reading, slowing down and it captures your, you read two, three pages and you're transported to the world of the characters, the prose and everything. That's what I'm enjoying the most now about Mishima, Yukio Mishima. Great. 
So I have one more question left for you. But before that, um, if people would like to reach out to you, maybe learn more about you, uh, about the work, what would be the best possible way to reach out to you? I have my website called ageekinjapan.com. I just my, my Instagram. It's Ikigai Book. That's the easiest. Uh, you can message like this. Not these days. I think even if you have many followers, people are very. How would I say? They are not. Very, they are very quiet. They don't message each, each other. So if you message me, I will probably reply you. Like on Instagram, Ikigai Book is where I spend more time lately. Uh, guys, make sure that you get in touch with Hector. I just finished reading the book Ikigai. I'm holding it in my hand. And it is an amazing book. A lot of insights. Kigai now it's on sale in India in English. But this currently, I'm very happy. Your audience is the first to know, I think. It's being translated to Hindi, Marathi, Tamil, and then Telugu, and then two other languages. Like total six languages in India is being translated now. So it's going to be, yeah, I don't know what will happen. Like your, maybe your podcast will become famous when it goes into all this. Yeah. So it's being translated now into six languages. So everyone who reached me, thank you very much beforehand. Sure. I think one of the things, uh, obviously is, uh, the book talk about slowing down and, you know, and I think people are just rushing through because the, you know, ideologies of Japan and we, we often don't get to hear about you know, the culture of Japan and how people in Japan live, because we have always heard about, okay, like Japanese are one of the most disciplined people and, you know, they live longer. We have heard about the Okami village. Yeah. Getting that to read in a book, maybe that kind of spoke to people. So people are curious about Japan. Yes. It's mysterious for me. Okay. Thank you. All right. So here's the last question for you, Hector. So let us imagine that you are standing on the largest ever stadium that has been built in the history of the world. And there are a million of people sitting on that stadium and they are eagerly and passionately waiting to listen to you. And you have been given only one minute of the time to share the most important lesson that you have learned in your life. What would be your message? I would say, don't listen to me and try to be the most of yourself that you can be yourself, which is very difficult. But I think that's the mission for each of us, our human beings, is to empower the most of ourselves in this world. And to do that, you have to live. You have the responsibility to live every day, every minute, every hour, every second of your life to your maximum potential making yourself the best you can will help the most to the people around you if you are not the best at your best you will affect negatively to the people around you you are responsible for being you and that includes everything being the best at things but also loving yourself and loving people around you spreading love everything that is part of having a human life it has been amazing having this conversation with you Hector. thank you so much for being here on the show thanks to you Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Inspiring Talk podcast. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast from. I hope you learn something from this episode. Do let me know your biggest takeaway from this episode on my Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at the rate Vijay Speaks. You can access the show notes of this episode by visiting theinspiringtalk.com forward slash 8383. 
Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you in the next. Now, go out there and do something inspiring.